What's going on, Fight Fans? Welcome to another episode of the Fixed Fights Podcast with Kurt and Ben. As always, I'm Kurt. I'm here with my main man, Ben. Ben, what's going on this week, man? Uh, a lot of fights, dude. Um, I'm pretty good. Not a lot going on on my end, I should say, but um, we were kind of talking about it before we started. Like, I feel like it's it's pretty straightforward, man. There's so many fights going on, and when I was like kind of preparing to, to talk on this podcast today, I was realizing like we there's no... John Jones getting arrested. Conor McGregor's not punching people in bars, right? It's mostly just like recapping, honestly, really good fights that we had um, over the weekend and looking forward to like an incredible card. Maybe one of the best that they've put together on paper so far this year. Yeah, this is a really, really excellent card uh, to close out the years we're going to get into. But this past weekend, we saw a ton of fights, not only... uh, on the MMA side, but boxing had a couple of uh, big fights, which we could talk a bit about. But uh, let's start the show off with, I got to be the most shocking uh, result of the weekend. And that's Sergio Pettis with probably the biggest win of his career. Um, stops Kyoji Horiguchi in the fourth round of a fight that he was losing just about every second of. But man, that knockout was insane. Um Definitely, I mean, that's that's talk about a late entry for a knockout of the year. I mean, that's got to be up there. And again, not only recency bias, but if you look at the knockout itself, the way that fight was going, I mean, dude, the shock value was there, man. Holy crap. Yeah, if, if you, when you're picking your knockout of the year, if you weigh heavily on like the circumstances around it, I think this is like the the biggest one. It feels like, I mean, losing the fight, championship on the line. Um, especially now we're about to talk about their bantamweight Grand Prix. I feel like whoever holds that bantamweight belt is suddenly um, a bit of a bigger star because they're doing a tournament around that weight class. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty fucking incredible. Also, like, I love the, I love the fact that Pettis pulled the the hammer fist at the very end just to make it like yes. kind of a, a little bit more of a perfect knockout, right? A bit of a, a like technically a walk-off. Um but yeah, incredible. I mean, I didn't see this live, uh, but I saw people going fucking crazy on social media, crazy. and rightfully so. Um, you know, we're coming up on on end of the year, so we will have to be talking about knockout of the year. But it's got to be up there in the top three, I would imagine. Absolutely. Again, I didn't do uh, too much research before this, but uh, I mean, you got Yuri Pahaska knocking out Dominic Reyes. Got to be up there. Um, a few others, but man, this, like you said, circumstances of this fight, I, I was, I mean, yeah, I was impressed with Kyoji Horiguchi. And again, like going into the fight, I, I just thought he was better than Sergio Pettis pretty much everywhere. And I thought he proved that for most of the fight. But again, this is why we love this crazy sport of MMA. Yeah. And I will say, I feel like sometimes MMA fans or fans that are more like hardcore fans tend to shit on somebody who fights like Sergio Pettis. Because, yeah, he was losing most of that fight. And I think maybe skill for skill, Horiguchi is probably better than him. But Pettis' ability to throw things like that and land it 
like that is a skill in and of itself. So who cares if he was losing the first three rounds? I mean, I'm sure he cares a little bit, but um, having the ability to end the fight like that, especially at such a low weight class is like such an asset because he's in the fight at all times. Um, so huge credit to him. And I know he's not typically been a finisher, but um, you know, with the, with the way he fights, like if you're, if you're spinning, you can knock anybody out basically. Um, so huge credit to Pettis and yeah, looking forward to this, this bantamweight Grand Prix that will only like kind of thrust him into the limelight a little bit more. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm glad they're actually finally doing the uh, bantamweight Grand Prix. I mean, honestly, dude, their division is so stacked. They probably could have done a uh, 16 man, but yeah. uh, you know, the eight yeah. guys they do have in this bracket are amazing. Um, we're gonna see Pettis, the reigning champion, again. The way Bellator does it, every time the champion fights, the belt is on the line. All these fights are gonna be five rounds. So I mean, let me ask you this, man. Uh, let, let's run through the names quick. Um, we got Sergio Pettis, Kyoji Horiguchi, Magomed Magomedov, uh, Leandro Igo's in this. Uh, let me actually pull up these the rest of these names. Rufian Stotts is in this. Patchy Mix. Patchy Mix. Uh, um, James Gallagher. Yeah, I think that's everybody. Let's see, I'm trying to pull up. Pettis Horiguchi. Archuleta, Gallagher, Ego, Magomedov, Mix, yeah. and Stotts. There we go. So who, like, who right now, if I had to ask you, who is the, should be the favorite in this tournament? I mean, I think Pettis. Um, however, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, betting-wise, it's Horiguchi based on everything. I know I just said, like, being able to finish the fight at a moment's notice is a huge asset. But, I mean, if Horiguchi and Pettis fight again... I don't know what that fight would be lined. You would maybe pick Horiguchi as the favorite, to be honest, even though he's he's coming off the loss, just based on how the first 20 minutes or so of that fight went. Um, so one of those two, I think. Other guys I got my name on or my my eyes on, though, obviously, Stotts is a super exciting it's entrant. Stud. I, I want to see Patchy Mix rematch Juan Archuleta. I think that fight could go differently. Um, and if we see Apache mix that can get past somebody like Juan Archuleta, I think he's dangerous to anybody just based on like the way he fights. Right. Cause I think Apache mix could out grapple Kyoji Horiguchi. I think Apache mix could maybe out grapple Sergio Pettis. Um, but if he goes against guys that have better takedown defense, like Stotts or Archuleta, he's in trouble. So it's, it's a matter of matchups, which I think makes this is kind of what makes this tournament so interesting is every single one of these guys feels like they have a chance. And like you said, it could have been 16 man easy. Like there's guys like Brett Johns, Darion Caldwell, yeah, if he exactly. ever wants to go back down to this division, there's, they have guys on the roster that could easily slot in. And I think would, you would think, oh, they could get it all the way to the finals or even win it. Yeah, I agree. I'm wondering if they do, I wonder if they run back this fight first round, Pettis and Horiguchi. I mean, that, that, that could, you know, that's that's the beauty of these tournaments. I mean, you can mm -hmm. go literally any which way with this matchmaking. It's going to be exciting. Um, glad they're doing it. Bellator, I think, has had home runs with a lot of these tournaments in the past. I, I thought the the 170-pound tournament was amazing. Um, that final with uh, AJ McKee and, and Patricio Pitbull are going to be produced the biggest, I think, Bellator fight in the history. So glad they're doing the bantamweights. I think any which way you can match this uh 
this uh, eighth man tournament up is going to be fireworks. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And again, this is not just us being like MMA hipsters trying to get excited about things outside of the UFC. Like this is banging. If the UFC ever did anything like this, could you imagine? Could you imagine them doing this no. in the oh bantamweight division? It would be insanity. Um, so whatever. Good on Bellator for maximizing what they have. It would be insanity. A um, couple others from the Bellator car that we should uh, shout out. Uh, Jeremy Kennedy getting a, a razor uh, or a rock solid win over Emmanuel Sanchez. Johnny Eblen as well. Still undefeated. Defeats Colin Huckbuddy in about a minute. Calls out John Salter, which I think is a proper call out. Um, Gagar Musasi is going to be defending his title against Austin Vanderford. Johnny Eblen is undefeated. Calls out John Salter, who fought for the title previously. Love the call out. He's a, somebody to keep your eye on. Yeah, for sure. And you got to think, Bellator hasn't done a 185 Grand Prix yet. That's got to be on their radar, I would think. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Um, all right, let's shoot over to the UFC side of things now. Main event, uh, another dude, honestly, excellent fight in the bantamweight division. Jose Aldo, man, and put some fucking respect on this guy. Man. You know what's crazy? Dude, I didn't really realize until I saw, like, the pre-fight graphic. It's Isn't it crazy that Jose Aldo is only a year older than Rob Font? It's just like this guy has been around for so long at the top of the division. I feel like people have tried to write him off a couple times, and he just does not go away, dude. He just gets better and better. I mean, and again, he's had to change a lot of his style. It's, uh, you know, the reaction time, obviously, um, I guess you could say is not what he used to be. But, man, Jose Aldo is impressive as hell. This fight was was freaking awesome. Um and for him to go toe-to-toe with, with Rob Font on the feet, and Rob Font has some of the best boxing in the UFC, has an excellent jab. I mean, I can't gush enough about Jose Aldo, man. The dude, dude's a stud. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I think his reaction time is still there. I think we just see maybe a – he was never a high-paced fighter, obviously. Uh, but I think he's just a little bit more concerned about cardio. For sure, probably yeah. down, a, down a weight class. Um older you know he's 35 years old like i think he's just a little bit more conservative but this fight i think really showed off the benefits of fighting conservatively because we saw right that first what three four minutes of rob font just kind of unloading every weapon he had on aldo um and if you've seen a jose aldo fight before yeah the commentary was going crazy oh rob font's doing incredible he's doing it so good but I don't know about you, Kurt, but when I was watching that, I was like, dude, when Aldo decides to answer, shit's over. Like, Aldo's going to take over because his defense is so good. He's so powerful that when he does throw, um, he lands hard. Um, And I think, to my point about him fighting conservatively, I think that's to his benefit because Rob Font has so few looks to, to go off of. All Rob Font had for the first, like, three and a half minutes was Aldo basically shelling up and occasionally maybe throwing a, a jab. Um, so then when Aldo did attack, Font had, like, no idea where it was going to come from. He had no idea how to counter it. Um, so that's why you see this, like, Font with this crazy, crazy output. Aldo with much lower output, uh, but landing at, like, a crazy high rate and doing way more damage. Um, so I think Aldo, honestly, is, like, aging into this style pretty well. Like, 
yeah, you don't usually see guys in their mid and late thirties have a ton of success at like lightweight or lower. Uh, but Jose Aldo, if he can fight like this, I don't, you know, he could fight this style into maybe like 38, 39, even, um, who knows, but I think, yeah, put some respect on his name. That was the first thing you said. And I think that's the last thing that needs to be said about Jose Aldo. Well, dude, remember when he, he it was announced that he was going to drop down to bantamweight. We were like, we thought he was going to die him off. Like that did, dude, that yeah. did not seem like a good idea. I mean, there were fights where he was gassing and looked like death on the scale at 145. And then, you know, he, he loses to Marlon Marais in a fight that most people thought he won, gets stopped by Piotr Jan. And then this three fight winning streak over Marlon Vera, Pedro Munoz and Rob Font. It's just, it's impressive as hell, man. The big question is who does he fight next? I and mean, he called out, TJ Dillashaw, I think that's the perfect call-out because if you look at the rankings right now, Jose Aldo's three, uh, um, Piotr Jan and, and Aljamain Sterling have to to finish their business. I mean, who else is left? A, a, I mean, a Corey Sandhagen fight could be fun, but Sandhagen's coming off of uh, two losses. I believe Marab Devalishvili is, is matched up. I mean, Dillashaw, that is a fight that makes a ton of sense, and boy, would that be an interesting one. Yeah. Why not? I mean, that's that's right in front of you. I don't see why that wouldn't happen. I don't see Dillashaw turning that down. Like, yeah, give me that fight. Um, I would love to see Aldo's takedown defense really tested at 135 against what I consider to be a, a pretty elite takedown artist in TJ Dillashaw. Dillashaw could test his cardio. He could test my theory that Aldo can fight at a really low pace and still win because um, it would look similar to what we just saw, I think with yeah. Dillashaw throwing tons of volume, Aldo just throwing a little bit, but with tons of heat. Um, yeah, give that to me. Dude, could you fucking imagine an eight-man Bantamweight Grand Prix with UFC's I Bantamweight? I know, it'd be insane. Uh, but yeah, It'd Aldo Dillashaw, that's the one. It is the one. Um, Co-main event, uh, another banger of a fight. Rafael Fazayev gets Brad Riddell out of there in the third round with a, a beautiful spinning wheel kick. I mean, dude, this, we, I, I always love the phrase, but like high speed chess, right? Like this was 100% high speed chess. The, the level of striking these two guys have um, is just amazing. And again, like they've trained before. So I, I believe they know some of what the other one's bringing, but I mean, Fazayev is, is a beast. And the crazy thing is Fazayev gets this win and it only bumps off to, I believe like number 11 at lightweight, which just shows how insane lightweight is that there's uh, 10 guys ahead of him, uh, kind of McGregor's ahead of him, which should not be the case. But, um, yeah, dude, uh, impressive win for Fazayev. Uh, dude, just uh, again, you look at up and down the lightweight division, you can pretty much match him up with anybody, and it's going to produce fireworks. Yeah, I believe he mentioned Gregor Gillespie, um, which, yeah, That's let's do it. I, that's ballsy of him that he's, like, down to fight one of the best wrestlers in that division. Um, so, yeah, sign me up for it. I think you can go Rafael Dos Anjos, too. Uh, I was going to say Dan Hooker, but Dan Hooker's going down to 145. Who knows what's happening with Tony Ferguson? I think Dos Anjos could be fun, and I think uh, Gregor Gillespie is a great call-out as well. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, Jamal Hill starching Jimmy Crew, impressive as hell. The, the man, Clay Guida, with, with uh, another upset. I mean, Clay Guida, dude, that's, that's, that's another guy. Incredible. I've this forever. 
Um, incredible. Incredible, yeah. And for him to sub Leandro Santos, that's like an extra feather in his cap. Leandro Santos is no fucking joke. But it's it's I feel, like, man. I feel like it's been a tough year between Leonardo Santos and um Adolfo Vieira getting subbed, getting yes. submitted in the UFC. It's been a tough year for jujitsu guys like totally gassing themselves out and then just falling apart on the ground. Uh but to be fair, dude, Leonardo Santos is fucking 40. I guess so is Clay Guida, yeah. but still, I mean, I, it was that was a fun fight, way funner than I expected. I'll say that much. Yeah, that would dude, that was a, that was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah. Clay Guida, man. Um, wrapping up this main card, uh, Chris Curtis moves to six and zero in twenty twenty one. I mean, dude, Chris Curtis is, is a is a really nice story because remember he won a couple times on the Contender series. He never got his shot. I remember he ended up retiring. And then finally it comes full circle. He gets a shot on short notice. Now he's produced two straight um, finishes. So I'm really happy to see this guy in the UFC and producing finishes. Dude, people don't talk about it enough because the UFC refuses to talk about any other promotion but the UFC. But Chris Curtis retired (laughs) in two times in one night. Remember, he he was in – it was the 2019 PFL where they were doing two fights in one night. Oh, yep. Chris Curtis lost his first fight, takes off his gloves in the cage, puts them down. Is like, I'm done. I'm retiring. Then they tell him backstage, oh, we need an, we need a replacement for the finals. If you win this fight, then you'll fight for a million dollars. So he like has to scramble to find his gloves, gets them on, fights Ray Cooper, gets knocked out in the first round after like minutes after thinking he'd retired from MMA, retires again. And then now, yeah, now he's fucking undefeated in the UFC. What a crazy, crazy, crazy story. Because um, I remember watching that thinking, I cannot believe this guy retired and then came back out here just to get totally fucking starched by Ray Cooper. What a sad, sad story. Uh, and now, man, comes full circle. Here he is. Yeah, look at him now, man. It, it is a great story, a great success story. Um, happy to see Chris Curtis doing the thing in the UFC. Um, Alex Morono opens up the main card with a unanimous decision over Mickey Gall. Um on the prelim card, finally glad to see Manel Cape look really good. Um, stops Zulgasu Magulov, who is a, a stud in his own right in the first round. Uh, that's two in a row for Manel Cape. Um, I think we said it on the show before. We're both always been pretty high on Miguel, Manel Cape. We, we're not ready to bury him yet. So I'm glad to see him actually looking like uh, the guy we thought he was. Yeah, I think he's going to settle back in, man. I think this guy is a top five flyweight. Like, I think, I think he's here. I mean, this was, he's got two like awesome knockouts back to back. I think, I think his first fight against Pantoja, he seemed timid and like truly like UFC jitters. And it might've been like in Ryzen, he was fighting with, uh, I believe wrestling shoes on in a square ring. So I think his first fight, you know, he was out of it. And then his second fight against Nicolau, I thought he won. Um, was still a little tentative. I think he's settling in now. Two back-to-back finishes. I think. Watch out. This guy's coming big in 2022. Yes, he absolutely is. Um, anyone else on the prelim card you want to shout out? Uh, that was about it. I mean, I had Manel K <laughs> circled. Um, yeah. No, man, this was a banger of a card. I loved. I loved watching. It, really was. it was a good. Card. I watched about most of the main card live, and then rewatched a lot of the prelims. And yeah, top to bottom bangers. Yeah. Absolutely. It was a great card. Did you get to watch any uh, boxing this weekend? No, just highlights. But man, boxing is popping off. 
I'll say that. Boxing was popping off, and again, that that, that uh, lightweight 135 pound division in boxing was on uh, on display. I didn't see the Devin Haney fight, but I did see George Cambosos go out there and and take it to Teofimo Lopez, in which it, it was an amazing fight um, and a huge upset. And I gotta say, dude, I'm glad that the right guy won because you see so many times in boxing like these underdogs go out there and fight this fight of their life and boxing just gets them and they lose the fight via bullshit decision. But I was glad that um very glad that, that George Cambosos won the fight because he deserved it. Yeah. And it shakes things up. Like, I don't know for, for guys like us that are only kind of casual boxing fans. I don't know. I feel like, um, you kind of have these champions in your head. It's like, oh, Tiafimo Lopez, he's going to be the guy now for like seven fucking years, right? I know, dude. Um, but it's cool to have it shaken up because it makes me want to watch these fights more. <laughs> Gervonta Davis fought too, actually. Um, his fight was really good too. He fought a late replacement, Isaac Cruz, who really took it to him. I thought Gervonta deserved to win, but man, Isaac Cruz was in that fight. So, you know, again, it, it brings a problem. You know, boxing is booming, especially at this weight class, but are we going to get to see these guys fight each other? Probably not anytime soon, you know? <sighs> yeah, that's the unfortunate part. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It is what it is, though. Um, let's move on to UFC 269, because this this fight card, like we mentioned before, is amazing, top to bottom. I mean, I did the prelim primer with uh, Daniel Vreeland, and uh, this is one of the ones where I, like, I barely even had to research anything because I know the fighter so well. The prelim card is stacked, and this... Five fight main card is some of the best that the UFC has had to offer this year. It's headlined by none other than Charles Oliveira, the defending UFC lightweight champion, which is still kind of crazy to say, taking on Dustin Poirier. And uh, the thing I like about this fight is these guys, these guys are kind of uh, almost cut from the same cloth, right? Like, like their their paths to this fight, their paths to this title fight have been not easy, right? I mean, these guys were both. You know, I mean, on the cusp, they were always good, but they had their trials and tribulations. They were never the guy that was, you know, five, six, seven, and zero undefeated, getting to the title fight, right? I mean, damn, Charles Oliveira had what before? It's crazy. Charles Oliveira, I forget what the the line was, but he had like twenty fights or something prior to fighting Michael Chandler. I mean, he made his debut in two thousand and ten. Dustin Poirier made his debut in two thousand and eleven. Both these guys came up from one forty five. I mean. So many similarities, uh, and then you look at the actual fight. I, I, just these guys' styles are just amazing, man. I'm super hyped for this fight. Yeah, incredible fight. I'm I'm all the way in on it. This is this has violence written all over it. I think it seems super unlikely this fight goes the distance. I know that's Absolutely. kind of something yeah, people. That's like something the UFC and people throw. Oh, this there's no way this goes the distance. But stylistically, like Oliveira, one of the absolute best finishers in all of MMA. Like, I think that's fair to Hands say, down. right? Not just in the UFC, Hands not down. just in lightweight division. Look at this, putting away Michael Chandler, putting away Kevin Lee, putting away Jared Gordon, Nick Lentz, David Tamer, Jim Miller, Christos Yagos, Clay Guida. Like, one of the best finishers in all of MMA. Poirier is up there too. I just don't. And Poirier, typically often, uh, when we see Poirier lose, it's been by stoppage uh you have to go back like three losses to get to his last decision loss so i think we see this fight not even get to maybe even the fourth round i think that's a pretty safe bet actually 
Yeah, Charles Oliveira, 40 fights. Only four have gone to a decision. That's, Jesus Christ. That's insane. So <laughs> either he's been finished or finished guy 36 times. That's it's, it's wild. And I think the thing with Charles Oliveira that he, I think, proved in his last fight is he does have some dog in him. I think, like, the thing with Charles Oliveira that, that was the no right, was, like, obviously great fighter, amazing finisher, but when the going gets tough, he kind of crumbled in his earlier fights. And, you know, I think he's proven that in his, um, what is it, nine-fight win streak now that, that you know, we can kind of uh, – Closed the book on that. I think he proved that in the Michael Chandler fight. He almost got finished. He came back. And he's going to need that because Dustin Poirier is another guy like Michael Chandler that is just an absolute dog, right? Like, you really have to go out there and put Michael Ch- – or, um, I'm sorry, Ch- uh, Dustin Poirier away to beat him. The guy is good everywhere. He can take a punch. Um, the odds in this fight are relatively close. I'm kind of surprised. Charles Oliveira is a is – a, Decent underdog in this fight. It's it's about minus one sixty for Poirier. The comeback in Charles Oliveira is plus one forty. Um, again, Charles Oliveira on a nine fight win streak. I am very surprised that he is the underdog in this fight. It's crazy. Um, I thought it would be more of a pick'em, but uh, I, are 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 people sleeping on Charles Oliveira still? Yes, way too much. Those odds, I think, are are exact opposite of. I might even put. Oliver at like minus 200. Maybe I sound crazy, but dude, he has done more for me recently than Poirier has in his recent wins over. I mean, his last Poirier's last three wins. I hate to shit on Poirier. He's like the most likable guy, but I think the line is reflecting his likability and the public's knowledge of him. The fact that he speaks English, all these things like Poirier is one of those guys who is, isn't like a transcendental star, but within MMA community, he's basically like, nobody can say a bad word against him, which for good reason, he does the charity work, all that shit, super exciting. But Poirier's last three wins are two Conor McGregor's and one Dan Hooker. That doesn't compare to me when you look at Oliveira finishing Chandler, beating a 2020 version of Tony Ferguson, finishing Kevin Lee, like, I think Oliver is on a different level. I also think stylistically this fight is is problematic for Poirier because, I mean, we saw in the Khabib fight, sometimes when shit's not going his way, he kind of makes some errors grappling-wise. You cannot make a single fucking mistake when he's tied up against Oliveira. Um, obviously, Poirier has a path to victory if he can, like, stay on the feet and, and throw bombs. I think he has probably better power. But we also saw Oliveira... That fucking knockout on, or I guess the the punch that dropped Michael Chandler, tell me that wasn't beautiful boxing. Like, dude, his strike is so good now. Yeah, I am all over Oliveira. I'm with you that I think he's way back past kind of the mental. He had that super weird fight against Max Holloway where he kind of just quit. Um, he had that fight against Anthony Pettis where he seemed to quit. Who knows yep. what was going on behind the scenes back then? But I think he's something has changed. That yeah, like you said. He showed a little bit of dog in him against against Michael Chandler. I think he is going to finish Dustin Poirier here. I think in again under three rounds. Wow. Okay. Uh, how do you how do you see him finishing? Some sort of submission, some sort of choke. Um, I mean, I think I think he might 
have to deal with some of Poirier's pace and like power early. Uh, but I think Oliver is an underrated wrestler. Um, and he's like shown throughout his career that even if he can't get the fight to the ground on top, he will pull guard. He'll clinch with you. Um, even in the clinch, I think Oliveira wins. I think Oliveira's clinch game is is too much for Poirier. Um, I think Poirier obviously can test his chin, but I see Oliveira's skill just being too much. And then sometime in like, yeah, the third round, hurting Poirier um, and then latching onto some sort of front choke. I mean, you, dude, you called this, uh, I want to say last oh, yeah. year, that Oliveira would be the champion at the end of the year, which is we'll crazy. See. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, and that outlandish, maybe at the time it was a little surprising, but uh, I mean, now that we're here, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to differ. I'm going to go Poirier here. Um, not totally confident in the pick. I just think Poirier is going to be able to wear the shots better. I don't think he is going to be willing to go to the ground with Oliveira, although you never know. I mean, maybe Poirier fucking jumps a guillotine, ends up on top, and then... Uh, it's bad news for him because I do think he is very confident in his guillotine. I do think he's going to be able to clip Oliveira. I think Poirier is arguably as good of a finisher, if not as good. I mean, he's right there. I think he stops uh, Oliveira in the second round after a wild first round. But again, either way this fight ends, I would, I'm would. i not surprised. Um, I guess I can't say I'm guaranteeing a finish because we just saw Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje Go three rounds, but uh, man, this this fight is going to be fireworks. This is this is great matchmaking here. Yeah, one thing that I think edges Poirier's favor is his preparation. Not that Oliveira seems underprepared or lacking in strategy or anything like that, but I think Poirier does come out with specific game plans for every single fight. Uh, that is like, I always feel like there's something that he's going to do. Obviously, he doesn't change his style that much. Uh, but I feel like he's typically so well-prepared and at this point in his career, pretty malleable or like coachable. He can do so many things that if they say, Hey, throw this like stepping left hand into a right hook, like do it, he can do it. Um, yeah. So I think he'll have some surprises for Oliveira because that's typically kind of how he approaches each guy differently. Um, but man, I, I even think Oliveira might be able to like get a couple blast double legs straight up, just take down Poirier, but who knows? I could be full of shit. We will see, man. What a fight, though. Um, yeah. Is the co-main event, man, and Nunez, next topic? I mean, it, it is, right? And Juliana Pena, for, for, to her credit, she seems like she is um, extremely confident this week. She has been asking for this fight for a while, but, I mean, Juliana Pena lost to GDR not too long ago by, by uh, submission. She lost to Valentina by submission. Um, she hasn't been all that active. Only one fight per year the last couple. I mean, the odds reflect it. And Amanda Nunes is is right around a minus 1,000 favorite. Um, is there any way you see Juliana Pena winning this fight? And if not, I mean, does she even make it the full five? Or is this just Amanda Nunes playing with her prey until she wants to get her out of there? I think Pena's too reckless to make it the full five. I think Pena or Nunes either submits her ground and pound TKO. I think it happens on the ground because Pena is way overconfident in her own grappling. Um, and I think Nunez, I mean, Nunez came into the UFC basically as a jujitsu black belt, like a takedown ground and pound artist. <clears throat> and we might see some of that here. Um, but yeah, I think it's Amanda Nunez next topic. Like it's hard for me to see Pena's 
path to victory at all. Maybe if she can clip her on the feet, I have no idea. But she's way too reckless and way too lacking in like technique to kind of compete with Nunez basically anywhere. Yeah, I, I think Nunez puts on another showcase here. Here's a question for you. Do you think Kayla Harrison is going to be in the building? Kind of similar to what they did with the Cyborg fight where they kind of showcased her. Now, I know the UFC is different. They're probably not going to get Kayla Harrison on the mic. But I'm wondering if they do like a pan to the crowd to get the, uh, you know what I'm saying, the juices kind of, of flowing in that. Because if, if she beats her in pan here and finishes her, like, aside from the Valentina Shevchenko re- like trilogy, like what else is there for Amanda Nunes? Really nothing. I don't know. I don't know if it would behoove the UFC. So let's say the so Kayla Harrison right now a free agent. Um, yes. Is it good or bad for the UFC's negotiations with her to show her on camera? Because in one sense, right, don't give her any attention. Drive down her asking price. Make it seem like that nobody is, cares. That is true. And that's but probably the, the route they'll go. <laughs> on the flip side, if they do show her, though, now there's suddenly pressure on her to sign with the UFC so that she can fight Amanda Nunes. She might then be sold, oh, if I get pay-per-view points, this fight's going to be massive. So maybe right. she is more likely to go with the UFC rather than Bellator and fight Cyborg. Um, I would love it if the UFC showed her on camera just because, like, we need that kind of shit in MMA. When was the last time we had two competing organizations, each with, like, a viable, super exciting opponent and then a free agent in between them who could go either way? Like, wherever Kayla Harrison signs, I'm super jacked for her to fight either Cyborg or Nunez right out the gate. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I, I think it would be interesting. I do think she'll be there for sure, but uh, I don't know if they're going to give her any uh, any shine. Uh, something to keep your eye on, though. Moving down on this card, Jeff Neal taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio. Should be an absolute banger. Jeff Neal, though, uh, is in some trouble last week. Had like a it's D, sad. It, was, it was like a D, DWI with uh, like uh, firearms in the car. He said... Um... And again, it's this is him talking. He, he apparently said it as media day that um, the gun was legal and that, yes, he had had like a drink or two at Thanksgiving. But he thinks that like tests, blood tests are going to show that he was under the legal limit. I didn't even know you could get arrested and still be under the limit. Maybe he refused the breathalyzer. I have no idea how that works. But he made it seem at the media day like, listen, I was this is not a big deal. So who knows? But yeah, unlikely because he seems like such honestly kind of like a stand-up guy that it was yeah, right. surprising news not that to like assume anything about anybody but jeff neal seems like a pretty straight narrow like follow the rules nice guy but who knows he needs a win here bad uh oh, coming yeah. off two losses um two kind of ugly losses too i mean that stephen thompson fight was uh not good for him loses to neil magni ponzanibio uh coming off that, that insane win over miguel baeza I think this is probably uh, Ponsonibio's fight to lose. I think that he is going to be able to pressure Jeff Neal, get in his face with volume. Um, Ponsonibio wears a shot well. Jeff Neal, though, hands a stone. The guy is a stud. He does have uh, big power, does have a good chin. But I'm leaning Santiago Ponsonibio here. Yeah, this has big-time banger alert written all over it. And, like, like I was just saying, man, um, I know Jeff Neal said it wasn't a big deal, but – Imagine dealing with this shit on on fight week. Let's say he truly, whether he was drinking truly or not, even if he was like, let's say, you know, you had a glass of champagne, you were perfectly fine, nothing else. And even if you know, all right, uh, this gun is registered, I'm completely innocent, nothing's going to come of this 
still having to answer questions and deal with this, probably get a ton of fucking hate on social media. Absolutely. That's got to throw him off on, on fight week. But yeah, this has absolute banger alert written all over it. And I'm with you. I think Ponzinibbio, more volume. And I think Ponzinibbio might be the more technical kickboxer, but I'm really excited about this. Yeah, I am too. I'm flying under the radar a bit. Cody Garbrandt making his uh, flyweight debut finally. I'm wondering uh, how he's going to look on the scale, but dude, they did not give him a a uh, layup here. Kaikar France is a stud. That's a tough, tough debut fight for Cody Garbrandt. Again, we don't know how the cardio is going to look. We don't know how the weight cut's going to look. Um, the odds in this fight, they got Cody Garbrandt as a pretty a decent favorite, like minus one thirty. Five minus one forty-five. I I would actually, I would I would think that Kai Car France should be the favorite here, and I'm actually picking Kai Car France. I don't I don't I don't know if this is the right move for Cody Garbrandt. I'm actually with you, man. Not to like read the tea leaves or try to figure out what flyweight is like for him, but honestly, I see Cody Garbrandt doing the TJ Dillashaw spam right hands with my feet planted and get knocked out by a more yeah, technical uh, striker. I see that happening here, like straight up. And the new weight cut's going to not be great for his chin, which is already, I think, on shaky ground to begin with. Yeah. I mean, I see Cody Garbrandt losing this fight. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Opening up the main card, too. I, dude, I, I'm feeling more and more confident that we're going to see a big upset here. I, I, I think people are kind of sleeping on holding on Paiva, A, because they don't know him, and B, I think, I think they're, you know, a little bit too high on Sean O'Malley. Again, this might be the fight, because I do think this is a, a again, not in name value, but in skill value. This, this, is a, this is a little bit of a step up for Sean O'Malley. Holly Paiva is a stud, really good, has great back takes. I'm kind of feeling the upset here. And if you did put some money on Paiva, he is a pretty big underdog, right around a plus 250, plus 275. I think there's good money to be had there. I'm picking Paiva over Sean O'Malley. I think he actually gets to his back and subs him. Yeah, I like that pick as well. I mean, can Holly and Paiva, one, kick a leg, probably, and two, he can uh, grapple. Really? So, like, I don't think it's out of the question. Um, yeah, these odds seem off to me, too. Not that I would put Paiva as the favorite, necessarily, but right now he's plus 250. Fuck. I would make it even in pick fight, to be honest. I think there's tons of value there on on Paiva. Yeah, there is a lot of value on Paiva. Um if John O'Malley does win, though, I think I think he he was talking about it. I think you got to make that Adrian Yanez fight. That would be uh, absolute banger. So we'll yeah, see. We'll see. Uh, that's a risky. I mean, that would be a banger. Uh, but that's setting O'Malley up to lose at his own game. If I'm being totally honest. But I mean, dude, at this point, it's like shit or get off the pot. Like yeah. you've been talking about this guy as like the guy for a while now, and he's just you know. And again, Paiva is a step up, but at least name value wise. You know, if he does win this, I want to see him start start really making a move. Right, for sure. I mean, look at this, dude. This undercard is fucking sick, too. The return of Josh Emmett taking on Dan Ige should be a, a banger. Are you are you at all? Are, let me ask you this. Josh Emmett's last fight against Shane Burgos, he wins, but absolutely tears his body apart. What kind of Josh Emmett do you think we're going to see after a, what was it, like a two? It was a, it was a long layoff. Uh, about I a mean, year and a half layoff. It's a tough fight to come back to because we know we know Ige is going to put him through the fucking meat grinder. 
right? Ige will be pressuring him. Ige will be trying to wrestle him. Ige will be trying to completely like box up his body. Um, that said, I think, I think guys coming off long layoffs are typically um, have the most trouble with like explosive finishers because their timing is off, right? The first round guys that are right. super, super dangerous, give them problems as much as Ige will put Emmett through the grinder. I think Ige is not this like early typically, I mean, he does have some knockouts, like huge threat to like put you away early. Um, so I think he'll give Emmett a chance to kind of get in, in the groove if he does have any sort of ring rust. But I don't have a firm take on that fight other than I think Ige is kind of the perfect guy to test to see where Emmett's at right now. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah. Dominic Cruz taking on Pedro Munoz. Um, Dominic Cruz in the twilight of his career, but... Pedro Munoz is good, but I feel like Pedro Munoz, especially at this point in his career, he's really excelled with guys who are willing to stand, trade, and get into a firefight with him. And I just, I think Dominic Cruz still has enough juice left in the tank where he's going to be able to put the movement on. Um, he still has that awkward style, although it's not as 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 probably effective as it used to be. But I think Dominic Cruz is going to be able to stay out of enough trouble to eke out a really close, fun decision. I think so too, but we'll see. If Cruz loses this fight, I think it'll be because he really does not look great. I mean, he he was just in a split decision with Casey Kenny. Um, True. So we'll see. I think physically he's just slowing down a ton, and yeah. that's okay. So many injuries, man. Plus he's older now. Um, hey, what do you think? Before we keep going, what do you think about um, Cruz flat out saying he mutes Daniel Cormier's commentary? Did yeah, you see there's this? a little heat there, huh? Yeah, they did. A, they apparently did a sit-down interview together where they talk about it on camera, and I haven't seen that yet, so I can't totally comment. But Cruz, like, never change, man. That guy is always going to be say if it's he like thinks shooter. he is right. For him yeah. to just at a media day be like, Cormier doesn't he? He's in just to get money and out. Man, I don't have a firm stance. I personally like Cormier's commentary because I, do too, yeah. I don't need somebody telling me every little fucking detail. I need somebody who kind of can Cormier does truly offer a fair amount of insight into fights. I think like okay. how it's going, what this guy needs to do, what this guy is trying to do. He does do that. He's clearly not as like prepared as Cruz, but I'm okay with that. I like to feel like I'm watching the fight with a friend a little bit. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. What, he also said one other one too, where he's, yeah, he said he basically said Cormier is unprepared. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, damn dude. He's like, he doesn't do his homework. It's like, why would yeah. you say that about this guy? Like, on tv dude like you're gonna have to insane. work with him again soon maybe he's just and like i don't know and like i don't know it's yeah he's cutting weight i mean probably yeah, yeah. but he also that seems like so on brand for dominic cruz yeah. like dominic yeah, cruz yeah, is the friend that would be like your shirt looks stupid today like he would just like fucking tell you like flat out tell you your hair is awful <laughs> like okay yeah. yeah that's funny uh we'll see though we'll see how he looks in there um, I think they set Tai Tuivasa up with a perfect foil to get another Shui live on camera. <laughs> we don't got to say much about this, but I, I think Augustus Kai is going to be there to hit. Tai Tuivasa slings them bungalows, so I think he knocks them out, gets another Shui in. Yeah, that's this is – oh, we, we got a crowd here. That'll be fun, right, him doing Shuis, but this is such a big boy jiggly fight that I kind of wish it was happening at – um, the apex, so we can just hear the thuds. But yeah, that's a that's yeah, a right. good fight. The two fights we got to talk about on this early prelim card. Uh, one of these I know you're stoked about. Aaron Blansfield taking on Miranda Maverick. 
Um, you've been talking about Aaron Blanchfield for a while. What is your take on this fight? It's it's crazy that they made it because both these yeah. women are like clearly in very similar positions, like very, very, very highly touted fast rising prospects. And I do have like some, like I moved to Kansas City in 2018 and that's when I started attending Invicta events as press. And both of these women were like the the, the early, early fighters that I saw. So I have like this personal kind of attachment to seeing them like now make it to the big show. Um, it's interesting that they put this together. I have been super, super, super high on Aaron Blanchfield. Initially, she was booked against Macy Barber in this spot. And I thought, well, Blanchfield's going to get another win. Um, yeah. I'm less confident against Miranda Maverick. Um, they are similar skill-wise. I know Miranda Maverick has recently changed camps. And I don't know if she even needed that because she was at a smaller gym in like Norfolk, Virginia or something. With yeah. And I thought she was coming along great. Um, she's now at Team Elevation. We'll see how that helps or hurts her but man this is this is a great fight i think i favor maverick's physicality a little bit not that blanchfield isn't like a super physical fighter um but skill wise they're actually pretty similar blanchfield might have a bit of an edge on the mat um but maverick has looked like a fucking terminator in her fights in the ufc um i'm super super pumped about this fight i favor maverick by decision but i mean if you look i've seen miranda maverick lose by decision I mean, she just lost to Macy Barber by split. Ah, did she? Terrible decision. That was a terrible decision. Bad decision. <laughs> but you look at Miranda Maverick against Jillian Robertson, Luana Jojua, she looked like an absolute destroyer. Um, and we'll see. Coming off a loss, we'll see if she fights any differently. Um, I'm I'm excited. If people don't know about Aaron Blanchfield, you got to know now. If she gets past Miranda Maverick, sky's the limit. Like we fast track her to the top, I say. Yeah, I, I favor Miranda Mavic ever so slightly, too. I think she is going to have just the advantage on the feet. She is very physical. I do really hope that this this fight hits the map because I think, think the scrambles between these two ladies could be really good. I actually competed on a grappling card with Miranda Maverick once. And let me tell you, dude, she I mean, you've seen her in person. She is a, a – dude, she, she's like a physical specimen. She is a built built girl. And, uh, you know, both these girls are so young, too. Uh you kind of it's good matchmaking, but you kind of hate to see it because they're both such bright prospects. You hate to see them hit so early, but uh, dude, this has this has the the makings to be a really fun fight. Also, dude, apparently Miranda Maverick gets around because I've also competed on a grappling card with her, which nice, is dude. fucking crazy. Um, but yeah, the grappling wise, I think Blanchfield is a little bit more traditional jujitsu style. Yeah. Maverick much more like kind of wrestling, imposer physicality, and I think. Yeah, I think it's great. And I hope the UFC sets this up properly by saying these are like the two pretty obvious, clear, like top up and comers in this weight class. Um, and this fight is important for the division because it is. I hope I hope they set it up. They give Agreed. it the proper it context. Is. Yeah. Um, the last one I want to talk about on this card, Ryan Hall taking on Derek Minner. Um, Ryan Hall coming off that ugly, ugly knockout loss to Ilya Teporia. Um where he just tried like the same entry to get the fight to the mat um, just over and over. And it just did not work. Derek Minner, I believe claims to be the best grappler in the division. Do you think Derek Minner is actually going to try to test his grappling against Ryan Hall? Um, maybe not willingly. I think so. I think he's going to make that mistake. I think 
Derek Minner strikes me as the type of guy that Ryan Hall's going to Imanari roll and Derek Minner's going to think, oh, cool, I'm on top. Yeah. And then it'll fucking backfire. But I mean, Ryan Hall's going to have to do something different than this the same awkward, like, it wasn't even an Imanari role that he was doing in his last fight, was it? He was, yeah, like, it was, it was turning weird, his back. Man. Yeah, um, it was very, very weird. And he tried it over and over and over. So again, I think Ryan Hall does need to, to vary it up. Um, cause I think Derek Minner, you're not going to be able to say this for many fights for him, but I think he has a striking advantage in this fight. Um, but again, I'm with you. I think he's going to get into some exchange, get a little bit too confident in his grappling. I think Ryan Hall gets to his back and finishes him. Um, I mean, dude, Ryan Hall, man, I mean, the guy like is one of those transcendent grapplers. I mean, he revolutionized a position in grappling, right? The guy is, is so freaking good. And again, the MMA doesn't always look that pretty, but uh, it is effective for the most part. Yeah. Jiu-Jitsu nerds come out for his fight, and rightfully so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, all right, Ben, let's end the show with some uh, odds and ends. I did not think we were ever going to get to this point, because I didn't think it made sense, but Tyron Woodley is getting his rematch with Jake Paul. Um, it was announced, I believe, yesterday or two days ago, that Tommy Fury had an injury. Jake Paul put out this uh, this video basically slaying Tommy Fury. Um, Tyron Woodley is stepping up. Uh, never thought we were going to see this boxing match again, but, uh, I mean, does it get you juices juices pumping at all? I mean, here's, here's the thing. I feel like – is Tyron Woodley really going to go out there for another eight-round fight and not throw his hands? Because I feel like if Tyron Woodley throws his hands – I think he should beat Jake Paul, even though we just fucking saw it. I still, and this, maybe this is me being naive and not believing that Jake Paul can beat a former MMA champion. But if Tyron Woodley throws his hands, this is his fight to lose. Am I not right? I think you're right. But like, how how many years have we been saying that about Tyron Woodley right now? Yes, a long time. I totally think you're right. That's because he also, I think, truly thought he was winning their first fight or would win their first fight, was going to get the decision. I think he's hopefully has like maybe like looked objectively at that fight or had somebody in his ear saying, just do that like three more times. That flurry where he had Jake Paul hurt, just do it three more times and you're fucking set. But who knows? I have zero, zero, zero faith in him, especially because I think this is probably his last. Maybe if he wins, he might try oh, for a trilogy absolutely. fight. Absolutely, I guess. I also get the sense he's just he's just collecting a paycheck and and getting out of there. But who knows? Well, there is a, there is a five hundred thousand dollar knockout clause in the contract. Apparently, if Tyron Woodley really does knock him out, so I mean, dude, if if you can't get up for that and, and throw your hands, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to get you up, right? Yeah, we'll see. Well, I mean, I'm not going to watch it live for sure, um, but I will be interested in the fallout i'll say that much yeah agreed um uh, uh jake paul is about a minus 260 favor right now which i think is completely fair yeah also like has woodley um, been preparing has woodley been doing anything like why would he even be in the gym you know that is that is very true so i uh, will see uh let me ask you this we didn't get a chance to talk about this uh since it's been announced but benil dariush taking on islam makachev what a goddamn fight. Yeah, grappler's delight, baby. I am so excited about that fight. I do see I do early pick is Makachev just by being a little bit more conservative and wearing out Dariush, but dude, 
what a what a great matchmaking. Um, eventually, they're going to have to put Makachev against a real stud striker. But as far as grappling goes, I'm excited about this fight, dude. I'm a uh, I'm going on the record early. I'm, I'm picking Benil Darius. I think this is a really tough fight for Makachev. I I think that Darius is a better striker. I think he's got more power on the feet. And dude, his wrestling and grappling is is top top notch. I think he's going to be able to test Makachev in the wrestling department. I don't think Makachev is going to be able to go out there and just shoot and manhandle Darius like he does to many of his guys. But man, what good fucking matchmaking! I am so pumped for this one. I believe Darius was a. I know he's been an AKA jujitsu coach for for a while, but I believe Darius might have been like a brown belt world champion or something. He, he was, was a yeah. very very highly touted. Um, jiu-jitsu stylist coming up so yeah if he was a brown belt world champion usually those guys go on to be often black belt world champions so he's that level of jiu-jitsu yeah that that is a great matchmaking yeah um last one before we get out of here felicia spencer announces her retirement um props to felicia spencer i did pick her over amanda nunez one of the worst picks I have made, but uh, possibly for Alicia on a uh, great career. She's getting out before she takes too much brain damage. So, um, yeah. And if we haven't said it before, completely RIP to the UFC's featherweight division. I guess unless they signed Kayla Harrison, but the only other like legit good featherweight, I guess. I guess Norma Dumont, right? She's up there. But uh, yeah. Props to Felicia Spencer. Also, <laughs> one of the first, she fought on the very first Invicta event um, that I covered. And like head kicked, I think Elena Kolesnik. I was impressed with her then. Uh, props to her on a on a good career. Got it all the way yeah, basically dude. to the top. Yeah, I mean she she got to the top. She fought for a title, didn't win, but uh, it's impressive nonetheless. Yeah, for sure. All right, dude. I think we uh, I think we knocked everything out. You got anything else to get off your chest before we get out of here? I think that's it. Uh, all right, guys. Thank you all for listening. Please give us a follow and a subscribe wherever you listen. YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes. We're all over the place. Enjoy the fights this weekend and we'll talk to you all soon.